Welcome to the Semper Reformata Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. I wonder, would you agree with me that the passage of Scripture that we have read together would have been considered to be one of the most well-known passages in the whole of the Bible. I think maybe the only one better known would be John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I know that as a child, growing up, going to primary school, one of the tasks that we had to do as children in primary school way back in the 1950s was to learn the 23rd Psalm off by heart, along with several other passages of Scripture. And in secondary school in the 1960s, uh, the same thing. I can well remember in religious education, RE as it was in those days, being taught to learn scripture passages like this, to learn them off by heart and to recite them. And these things in those days were ingrained into our hearts. We learnt them from our, our godly homes. We learnt them from our secular school system as it was in those days. We learnt them in the Lord's house and were taught them. How far have we come from those days? A few months ago I was asked to take a funeral service for a lady who had died in Belfast. And the person arranging the funeral service was her daughter. And she says, I've never been to a funeral before. What do you do? I says, I'd like to read a little passage of scripture with you. I'd like to pray with you. Maybe leave a wee thought with you. She says, what would you read? Would you read a poem? I says, I'd like to read a portion of scripture. What would it be? I says, it might be the 23rd Psalm. She looked at me blankly. What's that? was her reaction. And I thought immediately to myself, how much has our society changed? From the days when children were taught scripture in their day-to-day schooling, to the situation where we have now, where the country has become so secular and so ungodly, that some of the most familiar and some of the dearest and most treasured Portions of scripture are no longer taught and people are no longer familiar with them. I want to look at the psalm for a moment or two this evening. Because it gives us the great comfort of knowing that we are the Lord's people. That we are his sheep. And the theme of the Lord's people as being his sheep is something that's developed right throughout the scriptures. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
We are those who have heard his voice and come to him. We are those who will find pasture. We are those who are his and none shall pluck us from his hand. David, the psalmist, writing in this psalm, speaks of the Lord as being his shepherd. He would have known that well. He had been a shepherd himself and as such had known what it was to be out in the fields with sheep and yet had been singularly blessed of the Lord. So this evening for a few moments I just want to look with you at some of the marvellous blessings of God's grace that are given to us in this psalm. Just a few, you will find more. And having done that, I want to see the method that God in his sovereignty has chosen to impart those blessings to us. And I promise I won't keep you too long. I've identified four blessings. We do see that the first thing that we have from the Lord, the very blessings of his hand, is the wonderful peace that comes from knowing Christ. Psalmist begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And using poetic language, he goes on to expand that for us. He tells us what it's like. He says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now, I'm not a great appreciator of art, I have to say. I haven't a clue about art. Maybe some of you have. I haven't a clue about music either. Or any of the finer things of life. But whenever I think of that passage... And that verse, I always am reminded of one of those beautiful paintings. You know the paintings that you see, and they have lovely valleys and hills, and they have a lovely, quiet, placid, tranquil lake, and they have animals, little animals, grazing peacefully by the side of the lake, and the whole of the picture says peace and quiet, restfulness a few months ago we were in the Lake District in England I was thinking of this psalm we're standing beside a wee bridge looking at sheep in the same field as we were standing going down by this water and the lovely bridge and the beautiful Cumbrian hills in the background and immediately my heart began to think he maketh me to lie down in green pastures what a depiction of peace that is well how do we get this peace why is it that the Christian has peace that the world cannot have I think the key to that is in the first verse because when we have the Lord as our shepherd There is nothing else that we can want. There's nothing else we need. This whole thing, this whole world, the whole things of earth, when we have the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts as our Savior, then everything in this world begins to lose its appeal. This world is striving for so much. They have so much. And yet there's an emptiness in life. 
that simply will not go away. Have you noticed that? This striving for celebrity. People watching programs on the television set. And they're all about how to get yourself to become a celebrity. It's a modern phenomenon in this society. People want to be recognized. They want to be a star. They want to be wealthy. They want to have some kind of a high-flying celebrity lifestyle. And they think if they attain that sort of lifestyle, then with it will come happiness and fulfillment and peace. And yet when they get there, all that they find is that their dreams are shattered. The world around us, my friends, is an unhappy world. Be no mistake about that. And their empty lives are reflected in their empty lifestyles. I look for some illustrations. I'm told that Boris Backer, for example, was a tennis player at the very top of his game. And yet at the very brink of his game, he was also on the brink of suicide. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. I had everything and was so unhappy. Jack Higgins from Belfast author of successful novels and told was once asked what he would like to have known as a boy, as a young person starting out on his career and his answer was that I would like to have realised when you get to the peak of your career, when you get to the top, that there's nothing for you on the other side what an admission People who the world thinks has everything. And yet really what they have is absolutely nothing. Now my friends, as Christians, as those who have been forgiven, when we have the Lord Jesus, we have a completeness in life that nothing else can give us. When we have the Lord, we no longer strive. We're not interested in celebrity. We're not interested in this world's goods. We're not even interested in this world's money or pleasures or stardom or the worthless passing trinkets that this world has. My friends, when we have the Lord, we have everything in Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What a sense of completeness we have in Jesus. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. From all the striving and all the seeking of this world, from all the awful emptiness and loneliness and unhappiness. Come on to me, all ye that labor, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
for he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The second thing that we see that the blessing that the Lord gives to his people is the blessing of his protection that we have as we go through this life. David expressed his confidence in the leading of God. He says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he goes on to expand on that again. And he says, Even if I walk, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Even in the darkest of times, Isn't it good to know that the Lord is with us? That he remains with those who love him. Even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, what have we to fear? We have the Lord. This morning in Ballymacation, we were looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We were going through the few verses at the end of the chapter and noticing the stability in this world that the Christian has. And right there, Paul talks about how we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. How the Lord, by giving us the Holy Spirit at conversion, has put his mark upon us. A down payment, a deposit, an assurance that nothing can ever take us from him. And that one day we will be in heaven's splendor with our Saviour. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's nothing for us to fear. For the Lord is with us. Isn't that amazing? In the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord goes with us. And we can trust him. I wonder, can I tell you a wee story? Just a wee story about an old tribe over in America, one of these Native American tribes. And they had this unique way of bringing a young man into adulthood. I'm told this story. They had a unique way of bringing a young man into adulthood. What I'm told that they did was they equipped him with a wee bow and arrow. And they took him out into the forest. And they waited till darkness came. And as darkness began to drop in the forest, they said to the young boy, Now, it's up to you to look after yourself and prove that you're a man. And we'll see you in the morning. And they went and they left him. The darkness began to fall. And you know, I I don't know much about America. I've only been there a few times. I never, never really liked it very much. But... I remember when at night, when the darkness fell, there were sounds. There were crickets chirping. No doubt in the depths of the forest, as the young boy tried to make his way and to make himself safe, I have no doubt that there were sounds. There would have been the sounds of, of of the trees moving. Sounds of small animals in the undergrowth. Maybe the sound of a wolf. Maybe, maybe a, a, an owl would fly by overhead and he'd feel the, not only hear the sound but feel the, 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 the draft as it went past. And all night long the young boy would be terrified. 
But then dawn began to break. The darkness began to flee away. And the wood began to look a lot brighter. As a young boy became conscious of his surroundings again, he would see over a few hundred yards away the figure of a lonely man standing. And he'd squint his eyes in the near darkness and he'd recognize the figure and the light would rise a little bit more and then something would dawn on him as surely as the dawn had dawned in the forest he would realize that in the very depths of the darkness, in the most frightening time, there was a figure standing beside him. And it was his own father. And little knowing to him, as he plundered and as he stumbled through the darkness, his father was going with him. He'd never left his side. All through his darkest times. You see, my friends, that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. The very depths of darkness, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. And David recognized one of life's great truths here. For not only do we see the blessing of the Lord's peace, the blessing of the Lord's protection. But we see that right throughout our lives, the Lord has graciously provided for us. Can't you say that? Looking back across life, can't you see how the Lord has protected you, but also provided for you? And in verse 5, David says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. One of life's great truths, often overlooked by people today, known to us as the doctrine of common grace, is that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That everything in this world belongs to him. That we have nothing of our own. There is no such thing as a self-made man. For everything that we have is given to us by God. The food that we eat. The clothes that we wear. The homes that we live in. Everything that we have. He sustains us. And he keeps us. And he gives us food and drink. And he cares for us. And yet more than that. David here uses this poetic language again to remind us of a great truth. Not only has the Lord provided for us, but for those who are in Christ, he has so abundantly welcomed us to his table. He says here, Thy anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. David was a shepherd, but later on, for a short time, he lived in the palace of Saul, the king. And no doubt he would have seen royal protocol. He would have seen how an honoured guest of the king would be welcomed. How Middle Eastern custom of those days made it imperative that certain customs were followed. 
the guest would arrive at the king's palace. And a great banquet would be prepared, not just on the whim, not just on the spur of the moment, but it would be prepared for him. And his place would be set, and his name would be on the the plate, and there would be a place there for him. And the very fact that his enemies might want him not to get there would not prevent him, for he would sit down and he would enjoy the provision. And when he arrived at the door, the king's servants would welcome him by anointing him with oil and presenting him with a cup. Oh, it wouldn't be enough just to present him with a wee drink. That wouldn't be enough. A wee glass wouldn't be enough. It would be filled, and it would be filled while it was in his hands, and it would be filled to the extent that it ran over the cup and ran down the sides and ran over the arms and the hands of the king, so the king or of the, the visitor, so that the visitor would know that in the king's presence nothing would be restrained, that he would be granted an abundance of blessing, that his welcome would be overflowing. How the Lord welcomes us into his banqueting house. He prepares a table for us, a prepared place for us. And he brings us in and he anoints us with oil. And his goodness towards us is like the cup that runneth over. And of course if you're thinking of the blessings that God gives to his people, you cannot think of those without thinking of the wonderful blessing of our heavenly home. The psalmist says, by way of benediction, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the great goodness that God has done for us, this is the greatest. For those who are his, for his redeemed people, there is the promise of life with him for all of eternity. Blessings. I'm sure you could find more. The blessing of knowing the peace that comes from knowing Christ. The peace that this world cannot know. The blessing of God's protection with us every step of life. And even in the very darkest valley, knowing that he is with us and will bring us through. The blessing of an abundant welcome into God's kingdom. Not just to be provided for, but to be provided for in an abundance of new life. And the knowledge that one day we will be his. What blessings. However, There is a verse in this psalm upon which all of these blessings depend. I want you to look at verse 3 to see the key to receiving the blessings of the Lord. Where it says there, He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. That is a blessing in and of itself. But David's soul had been restored. 
And in order for to know and appropriate the blessings of God, our souls must have been restored. For by nature and by practice, we are sinners. And we cannot cleanse our own souls. And we cannot clean up our own lives. Only Christ can do it. This restoration is a work of God in Christ alone. I want you to see what the psalmist says here very carefully. Because this is the Lord's work. Right from beginning to end, the psalmist does not stand up and say, I have restored my soul. He doesn't say, I decided to restore my soul and the Lord helped me. He doesn't say, my decision to restore my soul has brought me great blessing. No. He says that it is the Lord's work. He restoreth my soul. Of course there is, and I know that you will agree with me, a responsibility upon man. Responsibility, as we shall see in a wee moment, to respond passively to what the Lord has already done for us. To rest in his salvation. There's a dichotomy. There's a tension between the sovereignty of God on the one hand and the responsibility of God on the other, responsibility of man on the other, and that has long been debated. And of course, we must invite others to come to Christ. And of course, we know that those who are His will respond to that invitation. And we know that our response to His saving work is simply to acknowledge our own helplessness and cast all of our care upon him, that we love him only because he first loved us. He restoreth my soul. But David here makes it very, very clear that it is his soul personally that has been restored. Jesus died on the cross. He died on that cross for me. When he died on that cross, he died to atone for my sin. Let's think again of this metaphor of the sheep, can we? Passage in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12 says, How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. You see that? There was one sheep that was missing out of the hundred. And the shepherd left the ninety-nine that were safely in the fold. And he went out and he searched and he found the sheep. And he plucked it out of its dangerous, perilous state. And he brought that poor, wretched creature home. And he provided for that sheep. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Not so many weeks ago, and it's hard to believe when we're sitting here in this lovely heat. It wasn't that many weeks ago when we had a huge fall of snow. Do you remember it? 
Our back garden must have had three feet of this stuff. Up in the glens of Antrim, not so far from here, it was perilous. Animals were being buried, especially sheep up in the hills. Up around Semish and those mountains, sheep were being simply buried in snowdrifts. And they were being left in the, in the, at the mercy of wild animals and, and wild birds, or just simply dying from lack of oxygen and through hypothermia. And the farmers, we're told, were going out and they were searching and searching and searching, searching relentlessly to find their sheep. They searched for hours and they searched for days and even for weeks because in the high ground that snow lay for weeks. When we were over in England we saw a picture in the newspapers came here from Northern Ireland and it was a picture that took place of an event that took place around two weeks after the snowfall. There was the farmer digging up, digging down, getting in, and there was a wee sheep. Even after a couple of weeks, the farmer, the shepherd, was still searching, and a sheep or two were found. Maybe you remember the story. Maybe you saw the pictures in the news media as the, as the shepherd reached down in, and he put his arms round the lost sheep, And he carried it safely over to the tractor and trailer. I want to ask you to think this evening about the response of the sheep. For it couldn't save itself. It was caught in the awfulness of its situation. It was lying there, caught and trapped and in danger of mortality. It was lying there, and the more it struggled with its situation, the worse it got, for it was digging itself down into the snow. The more it struggled, the more perilous its state became. The more it was sure to attract the attention of animals and birds. But the shepherd kept on searching until he found the sheep that was lost. He put his arms around it. And he rescued it. And what did the sheep do? I tell you, all that it did was submit, surrender to the rescuing work of the shepherd. The shepherd took the initiative. The shepherd sought the lost sheep. The shepherd wrapped his loving arms around it. The shepherd brought it up, brought it to a place of safety. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. In order to know the blessings of the Lord, we have to know first his saving grace. We have to know first that we have been awakened to our need of the Saviour through his saving work. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting us that we are in a dangerous and perilous and sinful condition. And when the shepherd begins to rescue us through his saving work on the cross, our response is simply to say, yes, Lord.
can do nothing on my own. I'm yours. Forgive my sins. Help me to turn and repent from them. Save me by your sovereign grace. And amazingly, in such a situation, David says that that is a complete restoration. This is not just lifting that sheep and putting it into more snow. This is a new life. This is a radical work. This is a life-giving work. This is a complete work. It's the idea of the passing of a soul from death unto life. For Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. New life in Christ, the blessings of having the peace of the Lord, the blessings of knowing that the Lord walks with us and protects us, the blessings of knowing that we are welcomed into his kingdom, into his banqueting house, the knowledge that the saving grace that he imparts to us and the faith that he gives us to appropriate will last throughout this life and into a glorious eternity with the Lord. Amen.